You're listening to the Growth Exponential Podcast. I'm your host, Bradley Caro Cook. Today, we're joined by Rosie Vasquez, who is the executive director and founder of Community Through Hope, whose mission is to foster hope for a better life for those facing food insecurity and for those without a permanent home by providing a hand up through innovative and compassionate programs with equality, dignity, and respect. Rosie, welcome. Thank you for uh, inviting me to the podcast. I'm excited to have you here because food insecurity is such an important issue in today's day and age. Would you share with us at a high level about Community Through Hope? Yes, Community Through Hope is a partnership-based, volunteer-driven nonprofit. We're in our second year of operation, but um, have a 12-year standing here in the city of Chula Vista to help address food insecurity and uh, the unsheltered. That's amazing. Now, you're the founder of the organization. I'm super curious, what is your story? Take us back as far as you'd like to go that led you to leading this initiative. 12 years ago, I really found myself, I think, fiscally, emotionally drowning. I I was dealing with a mental health issue and found that when I kind of made it through the storm of that, I was a very fortunate person. I had a wonderful family. I was well-educated. I had some savings and realized in the process of getting well, I was dialoguing with a lot of individuals who did not have the same resources or foundation that I had. And that that really spoke to me. I started participating at my local um, church and they had a very small but impactful program for back in the day, I would say, you know, individuals that were homeless. And I had some time and I started dedicating my personal resources, my time, kind of talent and treasure to see how I could help. And I started writing a few few grants and we were able to expand that program pretty quickly because the community really wanted to address it. And that was the beginning. That was about 12 years ago, spent five years building up that program. And we kind of outgrew the space and outgrew the structure of the faith-based organization decided to um, try another faith-based organization that had a little more space and grew the program. But once again, we found ourselves um, getting too big because the need was so great. So about two and a half years ago, decided to bite the bullet and um, explore the nonprofit world and um, submitted our paperwork. And it was a pretty smooth process. And now we're on our second year of being in 58 square hundred foot building, just trying to work the mission every day. Wow, that's beautiful. And what a great story of triumph and serving the community. Could you share with us some of the programs that you do to provide services to the community? Yes, we have three main programs. Uh, One's called uh, Project Hope, and that is centered around the unsheltered crisis in the South Bay area of the South County of San Diego. So we're in the second largest city in the county of San Diego in Chula Vista. We serve approximately, I think our numbers this year, we served 618 unique individuals who were unsheltered in our area. We case managed about 312 and we permanently housed 56 of them. That program involves case management inside our facility 
outreach events that include what we call a MASH unit, showers, emergency needs, haircuts, as well as case management with local providers. And we also partner with two police departments in our area to help them in a sense, um, understand advocacy for the unsheltered. Our second program is called Project Nutrition. It involves uh, the first of its kind in our area, which is a um, mid-scale food bank, um, kind of a small version of the larger food banks here that we've partnered with. We fed 61,000 individuals in 2019. We brought in 135 tons of nutrition into our area, focused on nutrition policies, fruits, vegetables, proteins, and grains. And we have Project Community. As a volunteer-based nonprofit, we registered 222 volunteers last year that helped these programs function and thrive in the community. We think this is a community issue as well as a local and state and governmental issue. So how can the community be part of the solution? Community Through Hope is the accelerator. Uh, we give the opportunity for community members in our area to have a direct impact with their neighbors, sometimes their family members, and members of the community that are really struggling. You know, we really focus on the unsheltered and the underserved. That's remarkable. What was it like before you were around? That's a great question. My understanding was that the police were trying to address the unsheltered crisis in our city, and they were struggling with understanding what's needed to actually uh, gain the trust of individuals that are in crisis. Before CTH was here, there were no comprehensive services for individuals who were unsheltered, but who were also going through what we call a co-occurring crisis. Being unsheltered can be a symptom of someone who is going through drug or alcohol addiction, someone who is suffering from a mental health issue, and once they find themselves unsheltered, it's kind of difficult to navigate what you need to do to try and get yourself better. What we've been able to do with Community Through Hope is design a trauma-informed case management model that threads the needle. And we've seen so much success because not that there weren't agencies or local government wasn't trying to address it, but they weren't looking at the global impact to someone's life. It's not just being men, you know, a mental health issue, it's also being unsheltered. And it could also be someone becoming ill due to lack of nutrition. The conditions that unsheltered individuals live in is very dangerous, which adds a huge level of mental health trauma, post-traumatic stress disorder. So these were things that we've monitored for 12 years and are now able to share with the district attorney and the county of San Diego, several police departments, law enforcement, to help them understand that it's not just the issue of an individual being unsheltered, it's an issue of losing their complete self-sufficiency and what it's going to take to get someone back to that point. That's amazing. So you're doing everything from the grassroots all the way up to advocacy for the unsheltered. With covering so many areas, how do you measure success? We're data miners. That's how we began to understand about, you know, I'd say about 11 years ago, where the target crisis were in this population and developed a logic model 
and that was super helpful. So through this logic model of um, prevention, intervention, healing, education, and leadership, we've been able to use that data to design programs and um, be able to monitor. You know, every client that comes in the doors of CTH is recorded. I just really feel that everyone deserves to be seen and heard and counted. And this model really seems to be resonating with our local government and the county that we have statistics on the individuals they're trying to directly help, but they don't, large agencies can't do this type of real connection to data mining. So we're very excited to be able to bring um, these numbers, this information to the table. That's great. And anecdotally, can you share a story with us about a success case or something that is really touching? Actually, yesterday, a client that we've been working with for over a year, who we met out in the field three years ago in a park, her name is Araceli, um, she received the keys to her apartment after being unsheltered for three years. When we opened up the doors of CTH, she was one of the first clients that we approached to go through the model. She had a drug addiction as well as um, some brain trauma. It's taken us a year to be able to thread that needle for her. What we were able to do is tap into a program that is uh, for individuals. It's very similar to Section 8. It's called Project One for All. And it um, allows a housing allowance to clients who are willing to get healthy and be able to get back to work and afford one third of the rent of an apartment. We were able to get Araceli volunteering here at our agency, um, get her to her appointments. She started to really get healthy with a treatment and uh, as well as mental health treatment, as well as her uh, treatment for her addiction. And, you know, she's been clean and sober for the last six months she went through her outpatient program. She earned the keys to her POFA voucher. And yesterday we celebrated her ability to be so resilient and to not give up hope and stick with us for a year because we found that for every day or month, you can kind of quantify the trauma that comes with being street bound. And there's several levels of being unsheltered, car bound, couch surfing. Araceli was definitely street bound for a very long period of time. So I can only share with you the joy that her family is so happy that she's safe. She's volunteering. She's gone through the model. You know, she's gone through the model that we put in place here. For some clients, we've been able to house them in six weeks. For others, it takes time. You know, hers has been one of the longest. But perhaps it's not about time. It's about the fact that she regained her self-sufficiency and her dignity. Wow, what a great story. And just the fact that you've brought someone, and I'm sure many people to that place, it's incredibly inspiring. What are the best ways to advocate for the unsheltered? If you're interested in, in kind of figuring out what your piece of the puzzle is, there most large counties have a regional task force on the unsheltered. So I recommend doing some research in your county to see who's been placed in charge of that. On a um, local level in your city, speaking to law enforcement, getting an idea of how they are engaging the community, seeing if you can come along and do that in a very safe way. As far as a community, you know, I, I love to think that there's 
every city has something like a CTH where you can plug in to volunteer. You know, I think first you need to understand the crisis. We need to get past awareness and start taking action. And for any individual that would like to know, you know, how to do that in your local uh, educational system, your neighborhood, visiting our website and kind of seeing how we took it from grassroots all the way up may give some folks some great ideas of what they can do locally at their churches. But do your research first. Take a good drive around the the city. See where you see these individuals and residents that are congregating and start building that bridge. I don't think there's anything wrong with starting off. Is there anything that you need that I might be able to help with? Uh, A blanket, maybe some money for a bus pass, but knowing that what really helps an unsheltered individual is not necessarily the handout. It's the hand up. It's having resources in your car. So if someone says, why, you know, no one wants to help me. Here's a list of local resources, some shelters. There's just so many misconceptions about how to help the unsheltered, as well as misconceptions about those that are trying to help the unsheltered. So trying to connect the dots first and understanding the crisis is a great place to start. Thank you for that. That's really clarifying. On Los Angeles, we have a huge unsheltered crisis happening right now that I see every day when I'm walking the streets. So that's really helpful um, on how to approach that. You're doing so much good for so many people. What are ways that our listeners can help you? Just recently redesigned our website to be very user-friendly for individuals, not only to be able to get education, but to also plug in. Ways, if you're local here in San Diego, even in the county, registering to volunteer, we have a great database that helps plug into programs and opportunities in the county or registering to volunteer at CTH. We try and um, interview almost every volunteer that comes through our doors so that we do a good placement as to where they're really going to thrive and have the most impact. Great ways to help are donations, you know, visiting our social media, following our progress, and and always just trying to plug in and give us ideas. You know, we we may not have all the solutions, and we know that we need to. We really rely on feedback from the community to get better on how to serve. That is great. And what are ways for people to get in touch? Again, our website, which is uh, www.communitythroughhope.org. We are on social media, Facebook and Instagram. We really appreciate and are very thankful for the platform of social media. We've really been able to get past the awareness stage and, and encourage individuals to take action and to support local initiatives and local politics and just get engaged and just remember that if you're advocating for someone who is unsheltered or underserved, you really are taking the place of their voice if they aren't able to do that. So it's so important to not only, you know, regardless, to to get engaged in your community and be seen, be heard, be counted, and figure out what your piece of the puzzle is. Thank you so much for all that you do and for being a guest on Growth Exponential Podcast. And I wish you tremendous success in all your worthy endeavors. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed this. Thank you. You've been listening to the Growth Exponential Podcast. If you know an executive director or nonprofit professional that you think I should interview, shoot me an email at bradley at growthexponential.org.